you have a Bible with you, you can open to the second chapter of Luke's Good News, uh, Luke's Gospel. We're looking at um, the songs of Christmas this Advent season, and uh, now we hear the angels' song, which is known uh, by the Latin uh, Gloria in Excelsis Deo, which is glory to God in the highest, just the first bit of the, the angels' song there. Um, and what we have in our text, uh, Luke 2, 1-20, is uh, one of the most important nights in the history of the universe. Um, how do you even talk about something like this? It's the entrance of God's eternal Son into the world as a newborn baby. Um, the, the topic is sublime. It's transcendent. It's exalted. Uh, surely too glorious for our mundane words to do justice, right? Uh, even though what happened this night is marvelous beyond reckoning, God was speaking to us in the common language of human life, uh, which in itself is a surprise that actually offends our sensibilities. Uh, shouldn't do that, right? He does. He, he flung the sublime, he flung the transcendent, the miraculous, right into the murky darkness of the regular old existence of this broken world um, in order to mend and make good all that is broken in the world. God makes the divine and the mundane to interface and uh, the result being not the, the defiling of the divine but actually the, the glorification of the mundane. Uh, God takes the unremarkable, he takes the unlikely, the unworthy takes the unholy, and he showers them with, um, with unimaginable and undeserved favor. And our passage this morning shows how when God does all this by sending his son for our salvation, it results in our being blessed with peace, and, um, and then our response is the praise of his glory. So let's pray, and then we'll read the passage together. Father, we come to you this morning hoping to hear your very word, the word of God. This is no small thing, and so we pray that you would prepare our hearts for it. We pray that you would make us receptive to you, that you would shower us with your favor and your grace so we could hear your word and receive it and be changed by it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. 
you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, um, how many of you have a little nativity scene up on the mantle in your home? Okay, good, good. Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb here and guess that it's a bright, cheery little uh, scene of sweet, peaceful-looking people. Um, my guess is that it doesn't smell like dung and blood. Um, that the shepherds are kind of neat and clean-shaven. Uh, maybe stoic-looking, but, uh, but that even the, the cow and the camel look pleasant and comfortable. Right? I think our camel's broken. But the cow, he just looks comfortable on that hay. It's, uh, of course, uh, <clears throat> all that stuff with dung and blood and uh, the earthy, dirty bits... Uh, would be ridiculous. When we can make things out of colored plastic, why make it look bad, right? Um, our thoughts about this night in Bethlehem are probably uh, a little too romantic, a little too sterilized, and that's actually a detriment to our understanding of the gospel. So what was the night really like? Um, just briefly. Mary was nine months long in an exciting and miraculous pregnancy, which was interrupted at the height of anticipation by a three-day hike to Bethlehem where they had to sign up to pay taxes to an oppressive government. She and Joseph were wandering around the town looking for a place to stay. The sun goes down and she goes into labor. They found what was actually probably a cave on the outskirts of town uh, that was used like a cow shed or a stable. The animals would go there. Uh, and it might have even been owned by the shepherds who show up in the story, with, uh, which are currently spending the night out in the field with their flock, guarding them. And it was there, in this cave stable barn thing, that um, the scared young girl gave birth to her firstborn son. You know, that, that first birth is always the easy one, right? Um, so... Mary wound some cloth strips around her son and set him in the feeding trough. She's exhausted. Probably not the kind of experience that makes it into that book, What to Expect When You're Expecting. Um, and nearby, out in the field, another scene was playing out. Shepherds were watching their flock, probably on kind of a rotation um, at night. Now, my in-laws raised some sheep on a farm, so I won't dig too much on shepherds, but... Back then, uh, in that culture, they were not very highly respected. Uh, maybe they weren't disdained quite as much as thieves and lepers, but they were probably regarded as being pretty close to the bottom rung of the social ladder. Uh, 
since they spent so much time out in the fields with their animals, they, they weren't really able to keep the ceremonial law very much. So they would often find themselves being considered unclean, which was a fairly large obstacle to uh, community in that culture. Even if they weren't bad guys, you know, notoriously wicked people, uh, they were nobodies. And they were unimportant. We don't even get their names here, they're just the shepherds. And they would pretty much be the last ones to expect a visit from angels or a beatific vision or something like that. They'd be the first to acknowledge we're the last ones that angels are going to come to. Uh, in fact, they, they may well have gotten into that career of shepherding because they weren't so good with people, um, let alone heavenly beings. If heaven is going to break into our world anywhere, it's going to be in the temple or maybe, you know, at least a synagogue, not outside the city in the dark amidst a flock of sheep uh, and these guys. Yet the, the shepherds, um, they perfectly represented the kind of people to whom God wanted to reveal himself. So, once again, he sent his angel with an announcement twice earlier in Luke's gospel. That angel was Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, God's personal messenger. And it may well be that Gabriel was given the privilege this night of proclaiming Jesus' birth to these shepherds. Whoever it is, the angel shows up in the middle of the night with a blast of light. He's shining with the glory of the Lord, the text says, the glory of God himself. <clears throat> you remember... Um, in the book of Exodus, when Moses goes up on the mountain and spends 40 days up there, and he's, with, he's in God's presence, um, and he came down reflecting God's glory from his shining face, right? And that kind of faded away after a little time. But imagine a holy angel having spent thousands of years in God's presence. It's going to be bright. And frightening. Uh, I think if the angels had a, you know, a manual for interaction with humans, then the rules for conversation number one would be immediately tell the humans not to be afraid. Uh, because, as with every time we've read so far in Luke's Gospel, and most times throughout the scripture, uh, when people encounter these, these angels, they're just terrified. It says the shepherds were filled with great fear. It's very emphatic. <clears throat> and the angels, the angels said, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy. The shepherds were probably thinking, oh, I was sure you came to destroy me for something I just did. Why would you come to me? Good news? Uh, no, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The angel doesn't name Jesus here, but he gives him three titles. Savior, which means he's the redeemer, the deliverer, the, the rescuer. He's Christ, which is the Old Testament um, Messiah, the anointed one. Uh, kings and priests were anointed by God to do a specific task. He was anointed by God uh, to be the king of the, the world. And he's the Lord. He's not just an earthly ruler. He's divine. The title is uh, used by Luke several times at this point, the Lord, uh, 
used of God, right? This Savior, this Christ, this Messiah, would be God himself. And the angel tells the shepherds that Christ the Lord was born unto you, born for you. Um, Phil Riken says, these words are like the tag on a Christmas present that says to and from. The angels were placing a tag on the manger that said to the shepherds from God. Hey, you dirty, socially awkward, regular old guys. God has just become a man to save you. God has just become a man to save you from your sins. And this is how you're going to recognize him. This will be a sign for you. The baby will be wrapped in the rags of poverty, sleeping in a cattle trough. Ready? Go fire angels. What? Uh, suddenly, a whole army of angels appeared and praised God, saying, Glory to God in the highest. So that's uh, not just a way of saying, like, a lot of glory. Uh, supreme glory. The most glory be to God. Uh, it, it means glory to God who is in the highest, uh, who is in heaven, right? He's in the highest place. Glory to him. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And then they vanished. Uh, and the shepherds were left in the dark, in silence, and they looked at each other, and said, let's go. And they scrambled down. <laughs> uh, they ran toward town to see this poor, infant, divine Savior. So there was all kinds of crazy going on that night. There was labor and delivery in the cave barn. It was low, lower class agricultural workers receiving a sin, sinning angelgram from God. Uh, all in the historical context of the evil empire's uh, property tax census. Seriously, you couldn't come up with this stuff if we tried. Uh, so what's the point of highlighting all the weirdness of it? All the strangeness of that night. Is it just because I'm a geek and I think stuff like this is cool? Not primarily. It's for the simple reason. <laughs> uh, it's for the simple reason. That's how God is. That's just how God is. I don't mean he's got a few loose screws. I mean that when God reveals himself to us, he never remains within the confines of our preconceived notions of him. He almost always surprises us. He shatters our expectations. He teaches us not to trust our instincts about the way that things should be. And do you know why that is? It's because our preconceptions and our instincts are wrong. The gospel teaches us not to trust our instincts. We think that if God is going to bless anyone, uh, it would be those who could provide for their children a life of comfort, a life of wealth and success from start to finish, born in the best hospital, wearing the best clothes, right? sleeping in a good bed. But, uh, but God sent his son to be born to poor parents in a cave, in a strange city, in an occupied country. We think that lineage or authority 
Make us somebody because we're proud and we want to be known for our power. But God's idea of royalty is sending his son to be born in the city and the house of David, the nobody shepherd king. And God's idea of a ruler is the Lord of time and space, washing feet, going homeless, looking for lost sheep, and dying for his enemies. We expect God to come to the rich and the powerful, to those with uh, moral and religious integrity. You know, people who have it all together. Because we imagine that if we were all those things, if we had it all together, we might feel worthy of his attention. We might feel worthy of his favor. But God reveals his salvation to shepherds in the field, just shepherds, who pretty much had nothing together. And he has his angels sing to them of peace on earth. Peace on earth. He's not just content to provide a way for sinners to escape earth and go to heaven, right? He's in the process of fixing the earth, of righting all the wrongs, of mending all the hurts, reconciling relationships, giving us new affections and new values that align with his kingdom, bringing all the glorious perfection and wholeness of heaven, and imbuing the earth with it. He's glorifying, he's making glorious the regular old stuff of this world. And of course, um, you know, we might expect him to do that for those who deserve it, right? To those who labor to bring about this peace on earth. Doesn't the angel's song kind of sound like that? <clears throat> they say, on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So if you're a good, clean person, God might be pleased with you, and then you'd be a good candidate for peace and prosperity. No, because then the first line of their song would go, glory to you for being the kind of good person that God likes. Uh, Daryl Bach, who has written a commentary on this, says the phrase with whom he is pleased, is almost a technical phrase in first century Judaism for God's elect. Those on whom God has poured out his favor. Right? This expresses the thought of God's free and gracious choice of those that he wills to favor and to save. The good news is that God has loved you of his own sovereign pleasure. And he has sent his son to make your life new, to make the whole world new, to bring you true and everlasting peace. And, uh, and that's all in spite of the fact that you don't have it all together. You're just a regular old sinner. This all comes in a way that uh, kind of flagrant fouls our sense of propriety, right? The, the, the son of God had everything. He had it all. And he was willing to forego his rights and his privileges. He was willing to give up his dignity and the comforts of heaven to become a person. He was a person. <laughs> to become a human. He was willing even to give up his life 
and suffer alienation from God in order to redeem the regular dumb bad people that God loves. He came because he wanted to serve. He came because he wanted to save the lost. He looked on us with pity, as if we were sheep wandering around without a shepherd, and he said, I'll be your shepherd, and I'll lay down my life for you. And he is glorious because of his humility, not in spite of it. Right? His glory is one of substance. His glory is one of love and service, not glamour. And you, like the shepherds, have to be taught to recognize that glory. It is not instinct. Instinct, uh, instinctual, instinctive, instinctive. <laughs> it is not natural for you <laughs> to, to recognize that kind of glory because you're prone to look for the wrong kind of glory. Remember, the gospel teaches us not to trust our instincts. The shepherds were told to look for a baby not wrapped in royal soft purple, right? But rough strips of cloth, not lying in a golden bed, in a cattle trough. Jesus said that we can recognize him in much the same way, clothed with humility, surrounded by poverty, all for love's sake. And when you know that he impoverished himself for the love of the likes of you, um, to make your life rich and abounding in every spiritual blessing, then you'll know his peace. Not just in the next life, but peace on earth, peace in this life, peace now. And when you see his self-emptying love for you, you'll imitate him. And you'll learn to give up your rights, your dignity, your comforts in order to serve others and to love them. You'll be inspired to imitate the angels in singing Gloria in Excelsis Deo, glory to God in the highest. And you'll join the shepherds in praising God and in telling all those around you what he's revealed to you about his son. And the more you learn to uh, distrust your instincts, the way you think things should go and be, the way you think God should act, the more you learn to distrust that and instead bank on his grace, rely on his grace, then the more your whole life will be turned upside down and the more you will give glory to God for having done it all. Does that sound good? Let's pray together. God, we know we need you to revolutionize our lives. We know that our feet are walking in a trajectory that uh, would take us away from you were it not for your gracious love. And so we pray that you would fill our hearts with your love. We pray that you would fill our minds with your gospel. We pray that you would override our natural instincts to be legalistic or moralistic, to expect things from you that are wrong to expect. We pray that you would um, increasingly over our, override our own instincts and help us to, to flinch in the direction of knowing that you love us, knowing that you gave your son Jesus to die for us, you loved us. 
And we pray that as uh, you do this, as you uh, work this work in our lives that only you can do, that it would be evident to those around us that we would be happy to sing your praises, uh, that we would be happy to share the good news that we have heard about you uh, with all those around us, our friends and our family and our neighbors and our coworkers. And we pray that as we do this, you truly would be uh, given the glory that you deserve. We ask that you would do this all for uh, the sake of your name, for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.